Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. We look this morning at the first six verses of Romans 15. I want you to reflect on the reality, the thing that, that you heard in my prayer and the thing that you're hearing all around you as people look at their families and they look at their communities and they look at our nation. They say to themselves, we are so divided. We are so divided. And they're right. It's hard to look at any aspect of our culture, anything that we have known or cherished, and not see the evidence of that division, the divisiveness that is seemingly tearing us apart. People say we've never been more divided than we are now. And those of you who are into history might beg to differ. Uh, We have been pretty divided at times in our past, and yet it does seem as if something has changed. It's not just that we are different and therefore divided. It's that we are divided and are no longer what we might call like-minded. No longer of one mind. There was always difference. There were always divisions in our history, in our families, in our communities, and yes, in our nation. No one was ever in agreement all at once. There was always division, but it seems as if in that division there used to be unity that has been lost or is being lost, that something has changed. The thing that has people worried is the thought that the division, the difference that we used to be able to contain within a larger unity is no longer fitting together. That, to uh, quote the Yeats poem, the center cannot hold that things are falling apart. In the mind of more and more of us, along with this division, there's, there's a growing impatience with the differences of others. We have less time for them than we used to. We're less tolerant of them in our communities, in our families. We're more likely to separate ourselves from those who are different. To use Paul's terminology, we have less patience than we ever did for the weak. We have no desire to harmonize our differences with those we believe are wrong. And politics has divided our nation, and politics is dividing our churches as well. It's happening all around you. If you look around, churches are splitting over the political concerns of the day. People are realigning themselves so that they can go to church with people who believe the truth like they do and not have to worship with people who believe differently than they do. This is what we see happening in the church. We are not like-minded. We've always had differences, but they've been contained within a unity that seems as if it no longer holds. And then Paul comes along in Romans 15 and calls us to live in harmony. He says the division that you see happening all around you, the division that may seem like common sense to you, 
Like the only possible way that things can go, because that division is not only not ideal, but is actually sinful. It is a demonstration of a failure in love, a failure in what we've been called to do. So turn to our text, Romans 15, 1 through 6. Paul's going to do four things in this passage. He's going to, in the first two verses, sum up the lesson of chapter 14. So we'll get some repetition of what we learned in chapter 14. And then in verse 3, he's going to reinforce that lesson by appealing to the example of our teacher, Jesus. In verse 4, he'll explain the motive for why this example was written down for us. And then he'll end, actually, with a blessing. Interestingly, he's not going to end by entreating us to do something. He's going to end by praying to God to do something in us. So hear the word of the Lord. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for that spirit of unity now, that you might give us the strength in one voice to praise you. In Christ's name, amen. So the first two verses essentially sum up the ground that we've already covered it may feel a little bit repetitive to be told these things yet again. But the thing is, there are some lessons we have a hard time learning. And as a result, we need to hear them over and over and over again. And this is one of them. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. An obligation to do this. It is not a preference. It is an obligation that we have in Christ to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Instead of living for ourselves, Paul insists that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to live for one another. And that means that the strong must bear with the weak. They cannot simply cast them aside, part ways, any of that, they must bear with the weak. And we must all love one another. We must all love our neighbors and seek, as we said last time, to build one another up, to edify and encourage and strengthen one another. This is the way we're called to live, as we have seen. Paul sums it up here. You might think of this as a new way of being strong, right? because as we said before, strength doesn't work for Jesus the way it does in the world. When you're a strong person in the world, oftentimes you have contempt for those who are weak. But strength in the kingdom economy is given to us so that we might build up others. It's the reason for that strength. So Paul gives us a new way to be strong, a new kind of strength. And it's the kind that Jesus showed. 
But he points to the example here of Jesus because Jesus has shown us a different kind of strength, a different way of being strong. He says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, and here he's quoting from Psalm 69, verse 9, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So everything that he's been telling us, he now points to the cross. He points to Jesus and he says, be like him. Be strong the way that he was strong. If you're not living to please others instead of yourself, then you're not living in Christ. It's as simple as that. Because the example that Christ has set is to live for others, to bear the burden of one another. That passage from Psalm 69 is interesting. If you go back to Psalm 69 and you look at the entire passage, you see that the words that he quotes here, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, come immediately after another famous line, zeal for your house has consumed me. When Jesus cleans out the the money changers from the temple, that psalm comes to the mind of his disciples, and they say, aha, it's as it was prophesied. So his cleansing of the temple showed the zeal that he had for the Father's house. And here, once again, Paul is using the psalms to illuminate the authority of Christ. So this ancient psalm of David is a messianic prophecy of what Jesus will be like, how Jesus will show his kingly strength. And he will show it by bearing the reproach that was directed at others. Jesus bore the reproach of those who reproached the Father. Those who despised God, he bore that reproach. And he also bore the reproach that was directed at us. He carried our burden for us. It's not his own burden that he carries. It's not his own sin that leads him to the cross. It's ours. And in that selflessness, he teaches us not only how to love, but also how to be strong. No one was stronger than Christ. No one was stronger than King Jesus, but he didn't use strength the way we do. He didn't use his strength to turn against or or divide from or castigate the weak. He used his strength to build them up. He used his strength to save us. There's a word for the kind of strength that Jesus demonstrates, a word in English that that might help you get a better sense for the flavor of of the difference in these two kinds of strength, worldly strength and Christ-like strength. The word is endurance. Jesus endures all things, is what love does. Jesus' strength is demonstrated in his endurance, in his steadiness, in his faithfulness, despite challenge, despite suffering, despite enduring burdens that were never his, so to speak, that he wasn't responsible for. And yet he bore them in strength. He endured those things on our behalf. Bearing with the weakness of others is a kind of endurance. The strong endure hardship for the sake of the weak in order to build them up. That is Christ-like strength. And it's the reason why in Christendom, in the, the whole long, flawed, far-from-perfect history of the Christian faith, 
over time, one of the values that we have sought to instill in the strong is this care for the weak. To tell those who are strong that they have a moral obligation to care for the weak is something Christianity has always tried to do. It's not an easy lesson to teach. You can go back to the code of chivalry and read about the ways in which the church tried to teach the strong that they shouldn't have contempt for the weak. They shouldn't uh, pillage them and kill them. Instead, the soul of knighthood should be to defend the weak. And then you read the history of knights and crusades, and you recognize how hard a lesson that was to sink in. And yet the reason why throughout Christian history that effort is made is because of the example of Christ. Because in order to live the way that Christ lived, we must endure side by side. It goes against our nature. It goes against our sense of the way the world works, especially now. When we look at nature and we tell ourselves that it teaches a lesson, a survival of the fittest, that, that the strong should advance, and that the weak should perish, those who are on the right side of history should flourish, and those who are on the wrong side of history should disappear. We tell ourselves that is the way things work. It is difficult in that circumstance to cultivate a compassion and a willingness to bear with the weak. It's hard, in other words, and when things are hard, you need help. But God is gracious, and when God commands us to do hard things, he also gives us help. As Paul says here, he's given us the help of Scripture. Scripture is a gift to encourage us to endure. He says, for whatever was written in former days, and he's saying this immediately after quoting the Psalms, so he's talking about what was written in Scripture, right? the, the words of God in writing handed down to his people, that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction in the here and now. It was written to teach us that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So the way this is supposed to work is something like this. God has given us his word in order to teach us. When I say God has given us his word, it's actually a complicated statement. He's given us his word in, in the written sense that Paul is speaking of here, the things that were written in former times, the inspired word of God. But he's given us his word in a larger sense that John uses in the prologue to his gospel, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word of God, Jesus the example Paul held up, given to us to teach us, and the written word given to us to do the same thing, to teach us, to be our teacher. So that through endurance, he says, as we persevere in the faith, as we attempt the hard task of enduring with the weakness of others, of carrying their burdens, as we do that, we can do it through the encouragement of Scripture. So yes, it's hard. It is hard to love your enemies. It is hard to bear with the weakness of others. It is hard to be in a family or in a community, in a city, or even in a nation with people who believe differently than you do and are absolutely wrong. It's hard to be asked to bear with them and to love them. 
when you want to do anything but, God knows it's hard, and he has given us help. He has given us his son Jesus, and he has given us his word to encourage us in this difficult task. That's what it's here for. So that, he says, we might have hope. So that we might live even in difficult times. Even when we have to endure. That we might live in expectation of the good things to come. Of the promises that God has given us that will be fulfilled in the future. If we're going to use strength the way that Christ used strength. If we're going to take what strength God has given us. And we're going to endure for the sake of others. The only way you can do that, the only way you can live that way is if you are living in hope. The only way you can give up what is precious to you now, the only way you can meet others halfway, the only way you can be willing to love those who who sometimes just seem crazy is if you are living together in hope of a future where God will make all things new. If you're living in hope of that then the difficulty of the present day, it's not erased, but it's put in perspective. That we endure now, that we use the gift of strength now in ways that please Christ because we are looking for a future where God has saved not only us, but also the weak with whom he has yoked us, whom he has tied us together with. But how can we have hope? How can we have that hope if we have neglected the written encouragements that we have been given to strengthen us, to help us? We neglect Scripture. We neglect Scripture by not knowing it, by being unfamiliar with it. God says, you have to do a hard thing, but don't worry. I've given you help. We say, that's awesome, and, and I will definitely keep a copy of that help on my shelf and perhaps refer to it from time to time. But God has given us his word so that we might live in it, not occasionally dip into it. We neglect scripture by not knowing it. We neglect scripture by not shaping our thoughts and hearts according to it. We neglect scripture when we refuse to bend our thoughts to God's thoughts. When we refuse to be guided by the help that he has given us. It's hard. We've been called to do a hard thing. We've been given help in the form of Scripture, but even that is difficult. As we were talking before the service this morning, Cameron and I, I I am shocked uh, again and again as I read Scripture how much I've forgotten and maybe didn't even know in the first place. So that if you were looking to me and saying, well, you're the pastor, you should be the expert on these things, at best, I can say, like you, I'm, I'm seeking. I feel very much an amateur. Many things I have yet to come to terms with in Scripture. It's hard. It's difficult. But again, God knows it's hard, and God gives us help. God gives us divine help. He's given us the example of Christ. He has given us Scripture itself. But interestingly, Paul does not end with a how-to. Paul does not end our text here by, by giving us sort of a reminder. Okay, now remember, these are the things I've told you to do. Be sure to do them. 
It's almost as if he's been talking to you. He's been giving you instruction. He's been saying, okay, here's how to live the Christian life. And then he says, ah, you know what? It might be better if I talk to God about this because I'm not so sure you're going to be able to do this. And so he ends with a blessing, a benediction, a kind of prayer for us to God. And that shift is significant. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he just told us that we're called to endure and to be encouraged. But now he turns to God and refers to God as the God of endurance and encouragement. What we need comes from God. And if we're going to get it, it must come from God. It is granted by God to us as a gift. If we're going to endure, if we're going to be encouraged, it will only be because God grants it to us as his gift. And so Paul appeals to God. Says, may God do this. May he grant this gift to you. And specifically, what he's hoping will be granted to us, the blessing that he wants God to give us is that we will live in harmony. That we will live in harmony. The words translated here as live in harmony are the same words elsewhere that are translated as to be of one mind to be of the same mind, to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So like-mindedness is the idea behind living in harmony. And in order to live in harmony, there must be some kind of unity of mind. And if we have that, then we can worship, we can glorify God with one voice. There's a paradox that comes along with thinking about strength, meditating on our strength. I've been addressing you as if you are the strong in faith and telling you you must bear with those who are weak in faith. But for weeks now, as we've been talking about what it means to be strong in faith, I don't know about you, but the more I reflect on that kind of strength, the more I begin to doubt that I possess it. That's the paradox. The more we think about what it means to be strong in Christ, to be strong in faith, the more we come to doubt our own strength, to doubt our ability to do what the strong in faith are called to do. That doubting is right, because Paul does not intend for us to dig deep and find within ourselves a strength that will enable us to live the Christian life. Instead, he wants us to recognize that we cannot live it, that we do not have that strength apart from God, that we desperately need his help, that we need his word in order to endure, that we need his divine blessing upon us in order to live in hope. When you think about harmony and you think about like-mindedness, you can see the similarity. When we talk about living in harmony with one another, Uh, Harmony would be like free of strife. There would be a kind of easiness to our relations. We wouldn't constantly be grating on one another. Instead, we would be like have like a pleasant, uh, harmonious vibe to our relationship. That it would all kind of go together in a way that sounds good. Harmony suggests order. It suggests arrangement. Different notes 
but brought together into a chord, into a progression of chords to make music. In that metaphor, you see both of those things we talked about at the beginning, present, difference and unity. Harmony does not come from the annihilation of difference. You're not harmonizing if you sing one note, one pure note. Instead, harmony comes essentially from bringing those differences into a larger unity, a larger order, right? So when we think about what harmony looks like, what like-mindedness looks like, don't think that a like-minded church is a church where everybody agrees on everything. A like-minded church is a church where despite those differences, we are committed to love one another, to bear with one another, with a strong stoop down to assist the weak. In other words, harmony is created. Harmony is made by bringing all of that difference into a larger order, into a larger unity. God makes the music. God is the one who grants the gift of like-mindedness. He takes us with all our differences and he brings us together in a way that makes music of us, that is pleasing to his ear, which is why Paul appeals not to us, but to God for this gift and why we must go to God as well. Soaked in Scripture, determined to follow what Christ has commanded, we nevertheless must go to him and implore him to restore our harmony. When people look at the dividedness of our nation, everybody has a solution. Everybody has an answer to to how things could be fixed. One of the answers I hear a lot of, and I cite it because it resonates with me, is something like this. If we want to restore what has been lost, our national harmony, we need to follow the example of our founders. We need to reconnect with our written constitution, and we need to pray for God's help as we used to do. You'll hear that formula, how to restore our nation often. There are a lot of Christians who agree with that principle doggedly when it comes to politics. But the Spirit is telling you, first, apply it to your faith. If you want to restore and preserve the harmony, don't start with the politics. Start with your faith. Yes, go back to the example of the founder, of the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, and be determined to live the life that we've been called to live the way he lived it, in accord with our founder's principles. And yes, go back to your written sources. Go back to your constitution, if you will. Go back to scripture and live by it. Don't bend it. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend that it doesn't exist. Instead, be guided by it. Be faithful to it. And when you've done all that, recognize it is not enough without the help of God. So turn to him in prayer, and implore him for his blessing, the strength to do what he has called us to do. Because on our own, all we will do is find reasons to divide and to divide. The times that we are living in have been sent to us by God as a test. And the question is whether we will live our faith or simply pay lip service to it.
In order to live our faith, we must live as Christ lived. We must bear the reproach of others. We must love one another. We must love our enemies. We must carry one another's burdens. So let us follow him in truth and not just in word. Let us follow him by using whatever strength he has given us to carry one another and to build harmony within the body of Christ. In other words, let us lead by example and let us find the unity and the harmony that we wish for others and that we wish for the world. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.